things in blue states aren't as rosy as they may seem. And there are a lot of state legislators that need to be watched and need to be potentially booted from office because there is a lot more that blue states can be doing to advance the policies that we're out there fighting for in purple and red states, but we can do here at home and set that example for what's possible. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Amory Dujardin, Executive Director at Down Ballot Progress. Down Ballot Progress is working to become sort of the justice Democrats of the state legislative level, but starting with a focus on Democratic legislators who they feel are out of line with the party. I learned a lot about why Amory came to the conclusion that such an organization was needed and how he's gone about trying to build it. We had a very good conversation, and I think you should listen. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Amory Dujardin at Down Ballot Progress. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. So, Amory, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Yeah, absolutely. My name's Amory Dujardin. I have been an organizer now coming up on eight years in the political world. I've worked on campaigns for president to state representative and, and even town council. I think I've seen some good campaigns and some bad campaigns and everything in between. I started in campaigns when I worked for Dylan Fernandez for state representative on the Cape and the Islands in Massachusetts. We won that race by a lot of hard work and knocking doors. And I caught the campaign bug and I became the campaign manager for Ruth Ann Fuller, who is now the mayor of Newton, Massachusetts, and was reelected last year. Uh, something that I was also a part of then too. Afterwards, I worked for Jay Gonzalez as his field director in a campaign for governor of Massachusetts. It was against Charlie Baker, who was enormously popular. And so the race, unfortunately, was lost by a fair margin, but someone I'm immensely proud to have worked for. During that campaign, too, I was part of the Massachusetts coordinated campaign that helped Elizabeth Warren get reelected. Uh, from there, I went on to work for Tulsi Gabbard for president and eventually became her organizing director. It was an interesting campaign, to say the least, and I ended up leaving in October of 2019 just due to lack of direction on the campaign. And I founded a consulting firm afterwards, consulting on campaigns for Congress, district attorney, Senate, and mayor. That's just to name a few. 
towards mid-year of 2021, I founded Down Ballot Progress, which is a 501c4 organization aimed at building a staffing and volunteer infrastructure for progressive candidates and lobbying elected officials solely within state legislatures. That is pretty much my resume and how I got here. That's a busy eight some years, isn't it? Where'd you grow up and how'd you get yourself into politics originally? Yeah, I grew up in the suburbs of New York, in New Jersey, in a small town called New Vernon, and was super lucky growing up, to say the least. I eventually went to Boston University and studied public relations there because I didn't know whether or not I wanted to go into sports or to politics. Eventually ended up in politics. My first job out of college was actually for this small public affairs firm called Amplify. I specifically worked on raising the age of criminal responsibility in New York, which was 16 at the time to be charged as as an adult. And there are a lot of famous stories about what damage that can do to a kid at that age. Most famously, Khalil Browder, who committed suicide in Rikers after stealing a candy bar and being held there for, for five or six years. Oh, my God. I would say that, along with the campaign of of Bernie Sanders, quite frankly, got me into politics, seeing that there were a lot of things wrong with our country, most famously wealth inequality and how that has helped lead to polarization of uh, our country. And and uh, so I knew of this third cousin of mine, I think, running for state representative up on uh, Cape Cod and the islands. And so I uh, went up there and started volunteering on his campaign. And that's kind of how I caught the political bug, was obsessed with knocking doors, getting to our win number, creating mailers and such. And that's that's how I got there. You know, I promised to be mean a little bit. So maybe so I should probably accuse you of rampant mm-hmm. nepotism in starting with your third cousin. <laughs> how much were you overpaid <laughs> for that campaign? <laughs> I was underpaid. Classic organizer uh, being underpaid. I was lucky to be able to find supporter housing and, and live <laughs> with people who love me. So what was it that you liked about it? Feeling like you were making a difference. I know that's cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. People like it. There's definitely a competitive side to me too that likes to win. And so going to knock on people's doors or call people to do the same thing or do phone banks and things like that, it was fun to me. You mentioned being a little bit undecided about going in the sports direction or going in the politics direction at one point when you picked your major, I guess. Is that a competitiveness thing in both areas that made them both interesting to you? I think just working in the sports world was fun. I worked for the Boston Bruins and their communication departments on game nights, and I got to get paid, not a lot, but I got to get paid to watch hockey and help out behind the scenes. So if you're a sports fan, for that feeling of being in the locker room after games and stuff like that, and that was fun. I don't think that there was really a competitive side to it because I wasn't the one playing hockey, for example. That's more of why I was attracted to it. I mean, when, when you referred to yourself, you said you've been an organizer for eight years. And it's, I think that's sort of become a positive description in politics that's used very broadly 
What does that mean to you when you say I'm an organizer? I don't think many people move on from the role of organizer, no matter what their job title is in politics. In the end, you are connecting with people in most roles, and certainly in the role that I'm in right now. I've scaled back a little bit from the four hours of call time I was doing a day, but I do two to three hours of call time a day. That's connecting in the dots and and trying to find people that will support your work. And you have to stay in touch with them and relay on to them what you're able to do and what you're able to accomplish, what what you need. And similar to what a field organizer does when they're trying to recruit volunteers. It's all about keeping up relationships and putting the pieces of the puzzle where they need to be. It definitely stands out in your resume that you worked for Tulsi in that presidential campaign, as you mentioned. How did that come to be? How did you find yourself in that job originally? I actually got a call from uh, a mentor, a friend of mine, who knew Tulsi from his days on Capitol Hill and She needed help getting a presidential campaign up and running. I thought her voice, especially criticizing the military industrial complex, was a needed voice on that stage. And so I decided to help out. And that was largely helping them get their volunteers organized at first. From there, that led to a full-time position. And that full-time position was various things, a lot of advanced work. And eventually to the organizing director position, uh, helping organize the volunteers and making sure that, you know, they were being put to good use. Who did you think she was when you joined the campaign? You said you noted her position on defense and so on. But like, tell me what your view of where she fit into American politics was. Yeah, I thought she uh, was pretty far left. She... Famously, as VP of the Democratic Party, resigned from her position to endorse Bernie Sanders and called out what she viewed as some wrongdoing within the party. And I thought that was extremely brave of her. She had some tremendous legislation on climate change as well and was a backer, I believe, of Medicare for All. Um and uh, was someone that I just believed to be fighting the good fight and trying to make sure that, you know, working people had a fair shot in this country. So that's who I thought she was. Did you get to know her at all during that campaign personally? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And how was she to you as a person? She was great. She seemed to work hard uh, and uh, was super nice to me. I think she was a little bit too involved in the campaign side of things in terms of having her hand on the pulse of it all. You need to be focusing on being a candidate when you're a candidate, especially at these higher levels or at the highest level of them all in the presidential race. But, you know, she was uh, good to me. She seems like a pretty charismatic person, a lot of skills politically. I, you know... Having been disappointed in the direction where she's gone since the campaign or even at some points during the campaigns, I don't know if I agree with that. Going back to what I just mentioned, I think, you know, she needed to focus on being a candidate rather than what her campaign was doing. If she had done that, there would have been more organization and discipline and success in that candidacy. 
But that's a separate question than her sort of skills on the stage. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she knows how to get her message across in whatever she's trying to communicate. I would agree with that. Do you think you understand the evolution of her political persona? Because there's that sense of her on the left. And I think in 2020, she endorses Biden at a crucial point. Not that I think she was swinging very many people, but she does. Now, I don't know, she's maybe on the right now in some regards. Is there continuity? How do you understand her? I don't understand her direction and how she got to where she uh, is. If she believed in what she believes, I, I don't really understand how she would endorse people like Carrie Lake, for example, for governor in Arizona. No, I don't understand it. The one thing that I believe that she recognizes, which I, I think other people recognize too, but it's hard to navigate, is that people who identify with the right feel just as screwed over as people who identify themselves with the left. A lot of uh, people can connect with working class issues in this country if you just remove the messenger's party affiliation. And she might see that on the right. But otherwise, I don't really understand, uh, you know, how she ended up where she currently is or wherever that may be. <laughs> I don't know her or, and I really haven't followed the details in in her evolution, but I have seen people that I know that were maybe in the Sanders wing of the Democratic Party who migrated to the Trump world, much to my surprise. You know, people that I thought I had a fix on politically who maybe have this thread of being pretty unhappy with the U.S. and finding different voices that were looking for significant change. Those people exist. There are very corrupt people within, I think, both parties. You look at efforts to ban trading individual stocks uh, within Congress and how that continues to fail. And it's hard not to believe that that, that is not being passed because they're because people like having insider information uh, within Congress and like being able to make money. But at the end of the day, I, I think the left is taking this country in the right direction and trying to even uh, up the amount people pay on their taxes and, and the wealth gap um, that exists within this country. Uh, and so I don't see people on the right going that direction. And sometimes they use certain rhetoric to make it seem like they are for the working class. But, um, you know, and if, if someone falls for that, then, then, then they do. And I think that there are a lot of reasons why, why people could. In a lot of areas of our careers or American life, it matters a lot who you attach yourself to, whether it's a, you know, like it's a company that's on the rise, a politician who is climbing and uh, has good fortune and moves from lower office to higher office or whatever. And a lot of that is luck. Like it's very hard to discern like what's the right stock or what's the right person to attach yourself to. And sometimes that can be pretty consequential in a career. I mean, there's a million examples in American history. Has that brief time that you spent with her had consequences for you? Or have you been able to steer around it and explain it? 
I mean, I think I've been able to do both. I enjoy coming on shows like this <laughs> uh, to talk about it. And I think once people hear my side, then they understand. I've also not been afraid to take risks like that before. I think working for Jay Gonzalez for governor of Massachusetts when Charlie Baker's popularity was in the high 70s was another risk. And, you know, we absolutely got squashed. But I was still proud to work on that campaign. Not necessarily as proud to have worked on Tulsi Gabbard's campaign, but I can't say that I didn't learn anything from it. I think there are people out there that recognize that even in tough situations like that, you do learn some things and, and it can be useful. It does hurt sometimes. Call time. People see it if they Google my name. And so I've definitely lost out on a couple thousand dollars and such. Who knows how far that goes, but the best thing you can do is just to keep pushing forward. So just to, to finish that story then, can you just like give me a little bit about like what did you learn as organizing director and then what were the circumstances where you said you left towards the end because of lack of direction? Just finish that story up and then we'll move on. At that point, I was still somewhat young in my career, so working for her reaffirmed a lot of the things that I already knew. I knew how to properly organize. I knew how to create a team to make sure that we had the resources necessary to meet the demand and volunteers that were out there. Quite frankly, we weren't getting those resources. And I was able to, you know, afterwards quickly jump back on a, a U.S. Senate campaign and put those tools to use that I knew were the right ones. It was more just like learning through failure that, oh, I already knew what I needed to do. And it more just put confidence in me. In terms of how I left, she wasn't making the debate stage again with the qualifications. And there were just some concerning statements, most famously when she called out Hillary Clinton to get back into the race and asked for others to drop out. I resigned a week later because of, you know, concerns where the direction was going and just not known viability. So you said you started your own consulting firm, which was under your last name, as I think I saw. Tell me about that. Going out on your own tends to be a little bit scary, was it for you? And, and you know how successful was that effort? It's been successful. I did it, though, because I met someone and she lived in New York. I'm actually happily married now. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and so that was the main reason why I started it, because I had to move to New York. It's been fun. There is part of it that is a little annoying in that, you know, you need to constantly hustle for candidates to, to work for. It's been, again, reaffirming and, and knowing, okay, this is how you run campaigns, and I'm happy to help do it for you. I really enjoy working on down-ballot campaigns. This has given me the opportunity to do that. Have you ever hired? Is it just you? What's the status of the org? It's just me. I've been trying to, quite frankly, wind it down as I've been ramping down ballot progress further up, only taking a client here or there. So what's the founding story for down ballot progress? Is it a nonprofit that you're raising money for? The founding story is I, I would work hard to elect these candidates. And most of the organizing that I did was in blue states like Massachusetts and New York. They would get to the state legislature and not that they didn't understand that they were they were going to be roadblocks. They're only one out of a couple hundred. Right. So what can they possibly do? But just becoming more familiar with these state legislatures and understanding that there is so much more that 
blue states can do to lead our country and demonstrate to purple and red states that, hey, if you elect a blue state legislature, this is what you can do, A, B, and C. And not seeing that progress was extremely annoying. And becoming more familiar with the individual actors in the state legislature, you'd realize that there were a lot of people that were running as Democrats because they couldn't get elected with a Republican R next to their name. That's the reason why I started down ballot. There is someone in Massachusetts, for example, who was elected in a special election in March of 2021, who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and then donated to him in 2020 and made anti-transgender and anti-mask remarks in the midst of the pandemic in the same month. And then 10 months later was elected as a state representative, as a Democrat. I understand that the party has to demonstrate unity and strength. The Democratic tent is big, but it shouldn't be that big. And there are a lot of individual actors that kind of represent that version of the Democratic Party in these deep blue states. And I think holding their feet to the fire to deliver on the agenda that they were elected to deliver is just as important as potentially purple states. So does that mean the purpose of your group down ballot progress is to make sure that you have progressives elected down ballot? Is is that how we understand that? Yes, it's totally focused within state legislatures because there is a big arena out there of elected seats to focus on, but you can only take so much of the pie. So just to be clear, we do only focus on state legislatures. What's your aspiration for this organization? Is this currently just you? What's the status? There's four of us on the team. We're all still part-time and we have an advisory board as well. The goal for this organization is to become an organization like Justice Democrats, for example, or run for something, an organization like that with full-on employees that can help lead the charge in, in making sure that blue states deliver for our country. That requires a multi-million dollar budget annually, which is not where we are yet, but something that we're aspiring to attain. So you said you had an advisory board. What sort of people have you talked to about getting help, people who are knowledgeable about building this kind of organization? Where have you gone to? I've talked to a lot of people on this, on how to start an organization like this, and a lot of people who wish me luck and have mentioned to me, and I can certainly confirm that it's going to be the hardest amount of money that I'll ever have to raise in my lifetime. But if you do it once, it's only easier from there. How much have you raised so far? Just around 150. 150,000, uh, yeah. Yeah, 150,000, and, and that's just in a year and a half, so uh, or a little bit less. Definitely a difficult thing to do, but positive we have the team in place to do it. It requires bringing on people who've done this before successfully and have been within organizations that that have worked on are the issues that you're trying to attain. And then some that are from maybe a different side of the party that have also been there, but maybe would not necessarily support your work, but maybe just support individuals going after what they love. I've spoken to a lot of people, mostly on fundraising and organizing and communications as well. But those are generally the, the backgrounds of the people that we're talking to. So who specifically has been helpful? There have been two people that have been specifically helpful. Uh, that's a blow to hear. He was the campaign's director for Justice Democrats. 
He has worked on tons of campaigns that have been kind of adversarial uh, to Democratic establishment. He's been helpful for advice. And he's also worked on a, a state assembly race in New York before. So he understands what the necessary amount of volunteers needed to really make a difference in these races. Uh, Adrastus De Silva as well, the current campaign manager for Cory Bush. He is absolutely fantastic and has been super helpful and just reassuring that we're on the right path. Janelle Cavero, um, who was on Hillary Clinton's finance board in 2016 and was on Bernie's in 2020. She, in the, especially in the beginning, really you know laid out for me what, not that I didn't have a clear-eyed vision of what the heck I was signing up for, but really, you know, hammered it home. Those are just a couple of the people I could go on and on for for days on, on other people as well that have been helpful in, in getting this up and running for me. So when you were talking about some Democrats in blue states getting elected who sound not at all like Democrats, like really sound like people we don't want. I had one idea of what your preference was. But when you start to talk about Justice Democrats and Cori Bush and people like that, then I'm wondering, is this we really want left-wing progressives in these seats? What is the real aim here in terms of like what you want to see elected in state reps? First and foremost, I think the, the policy platform that we put on our website is progressive. There's no doubt about it. But there are steps to this process. There are 7,300-something seats uh, out there and a handful of Democrats who hold views that are to the right of the Democratic National Party's platform. Those people are the people that we should be concentrating on first and trying to move further left, either through legislation or uh, challenging them in in campaigns. So those are the people that, you know, you need to focus on first. And if that just means, you know, electing someone who is a toe-the-line Democrat, then, then so be it. It's progress. But, you know, in the long run, when this problem is solved, if it ever is, this is what we stand for. And those are with the values of people like the candidates who Justice Democrats run or Sunrise and stuff like that. So I think that's just steps to the process. We are focused more on people who are maybe just more out of line with the Democratic National Party's platform right now than, than in line with it. I mean, is the analog like, I don't know, the Henry Cuellars from Texas in the U.S. House who are really on the right fringe of the Democratic Party, who have challengers who seem much preferable. I'm surprised when I hear Democratic funders coming in on Quayer's side, and although we did see that. 7,000 is such a giant number, and there's no way you can contend with that. So like, if you're looking at a state like Massachusetts, how many targets are there specifically, and how bad are the people that you'd love to oust? Their state house is 140 people, so <laughs> at least 30 on that, that side. It, you know, it's hard to keep count uh, on that front. I think their state senate is actually pretty great, but it varies from state to state, and that's because the state houses are different. New Hampshire's state house, for example, has such high turnover because each election is, I don't know, you have 700 votes and there's 400 representatives. 
So it's hard to, to keep track of there. But a state like Massachusetts, there's got to be at least 30 targets and not enough people running against them. So that kind of gives you a, a perspective of the problem. Same issue in, in, in New York as well. One of the people I interviewed back in 2018 was Gus Christensen. I don't know if you've run across him, but he was a he was a leader in ousting the Democrats who caucused with Republicans in that Senate. And they were successful and they got kind of a coalition together and a bunch of people who seemed untouchable got knocked out and really changed the politics in the legislature in that state. Is that the kind of thing that we're talking about? Yes, absolutely. Gus was, uh, Gus was great. I, I, I smiled because I actually had to call him for call time once. He was super nice and, and things like that. But yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. And you see what that no IDC is, is what that group's name was. You see the success that they had. Not only did they move the New York State Senate from an unofficial GOP caucus to a Democratic one, but if you look at the New York State Senate today, you could say it's a progressive one. They just successfully blocked the nomination of a fairly conservative judge that was nominated by Governor Kathy Hochul to be on to be the chief judge of New York's highest state court. The progress that no IDC sparked with their work is something that we would love to see replicated on a national scale. Do you know enough about that to take lessons from that effort in applying it to other states? I mean, everything's unique, but it seemed to me like there were a lot of smart moves made ultimately in running that campaign and making it kind of like a slate of Democrats about not just the one race, but into the pattern of these misbehaving Democrats. If there were more caucuses like the Independent Democratic Caucus that identified themselves, it would be easier to label these problems in states like Massachusetts or Rhode Island or Nevada and, and California, but there aren't. But there's no reason you can't start a campaign. I mean, if you choose your targets well, you don't want to piss off the Democratic Party too much, I assume. I mean, there's a political line to navigate and it's going to be different in, in every state. But if people are egregious enough and they're Trump supporters or whatever, I would imagine the party writ large would would welcome efforts like that. You'd hope so. But, you know, you don't really see enough pushback from the party right now that that says, OK, we are we are opposing these people. So unofficially, maybe they would welcome it. But on the official side, I don't think they would. I think you are correct. There are still things to to learn from successful campaigns like no IDC that need to be applied to in these states. Now, $150,000 is not anything to sneeze at, but it's not a multi-million dollar effort. Do you think that it indicates that people aren't buying yet what you're selling? Or does it indicate that you're just not connected enough? Like whenever you're doing a startup, whether it's in business or in politics, you have to, at some point in a certain sense, accept some signals from the market. Are you able to grow over time? Are people hearing what you're saying and resonating with it and coming on board? What, what, what's your evaluation at this point? I think your question is extremely fair. It's been a tough road. There's no doubt about it. But you also mentioned growing. And as long as we're able to continue to grow, I think 
there is a road for down ballot progress to exist. We are on the verge of being able to hire an organizer for Virginia in 2023. I like to say in this cycle that we need to prove and improve, and, and that is uh, prove that a model around recruiting volunteers for these lesser known state legislature elections can work, especially in the lower chambers. And we need to improve what we were able to accomplish, which largely includes fundraising and growing our team to full-time instead of just part-time. I think your question is fair. Um, and I think if we can continue to grow, uh, we'll stick around and, and uh, give this project more time to see what it reaps. Is Virginia a kind of a different example, though? Both chambers are fairly close. And so they're it's not like the situation like you cite in Massachusetts, where you really have a blue state and sort of an excess of Democrats, some of whom are much more conservative than you would like because of the nature of, of kind of a one-party state. You know, there are still great primaries happening in Virginia where we can elect progressives over more centrist folks. And I think we need to continue to grow. So it's more of a strategic decision to get involved in these primaries where we can still help elect progressives rather than wait for another year before blue state primaries happen again. Um, so, you know, we want to grow faster. And uh, and that's why this the decision to stay involved in Virginia, uh, I think, ultimately makes sense. There's a reasonably rich ecosystem of Democratic and progressive groups that are interested in the legislatures. There's the DLCC, obviously the party committee. There's the sort of sister districts and related organizations that target particular races. Why do we need another organization in that space like yours? And how does yours fit in? And how is it additive? There are clearly two sides to the party. And one is uh, with more centrist or centrist politics or maybe just more establishment power structures that already exist. And then there's this new side coming up that is still trying to find its way. And I don't think we need more organizations that just focus on, here's a progressive that you should support. I think we need organizations that are an equivalent of a DLCC, for example. So Justice Democrats is handling Congress, right? Uh, but there are tons of more organizations that the Democratic Party apparatus has, like the Democratic Governors Association or the Attorney Generals or state legislatures that we need to. We need to develop experts that can focus on specific niches. And I think that's why, you know, an organization like Down Ballot is necessary. Does that mean that the real goal is to be a Justice Democrats at the state legislative level? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that road goes through uh, a lot of different uh, primaries. Going back to the question that was asked earlier, yeah, I think we want to be a Justice Democrats at the state legislature level. And that road goes through some people that are extremely egregious and, and claiming to be Democrats, and eventually some that you know aren't as egregious, and we can help elect better progressive leaders. Have you talked to Zach Exley about this? No, I, I I haven't. I, I don't know who Zach is. I think he was one of the founders of Justice Democrats and has been like, a, a, you know, a political entrepreneur on the left of note, has a book about organizing with Becky Bond 
maybe add him to your call time, trying to get him on the podcast. I'd love to be able to ask him about what you're up to too. He's a knowledgeable guy. Yeah, I'm sure he'd be supportive. Now we just need to do a better job executing. (laughs) Well, what else would you like people to know about what you're up to? I think the main message here is that things in blue states aren't as rosy as they may seem. And there are a lot of state legislators that need to be watched and need to be potentially booted from office because there is a lot more that blue states can be doing to advance the policies that we're out there fighting for in purple and red states. But we can do here at home and set that example for what's possible. Is there a question I should have asked you that I haven't? I'm going to go back to my communications 101 here and say, no, there isn't. We got to keep the message succinct. (laughs) (laughs) Things in blue states aren't as rosy as they seem. Well, I appreciate you talking to me about this. I think the the effort to make a new institution in the space is worth following and it's not easy. And I think people can learn from what you're up to. I hope other people will reach out and, and you'll find a community to work within if you haven't already. Anything else you want to say? No, I appreciate everyone listening and thanks for taking the time to get to know me and get to know Down Ballot. That was Amory Dujardin. He's at downballotprogress.org. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.